Well, it's always good to be here for Sabbath school, particularly on graduation. Graduation is such a happy time, isn't it? I mean, look at the smiles on everybody's faces. The only person who's not smiling in this room is Emma Hanna. Where are you, Emma? Here she is. Emma's sort of running the whole show. I think we should give her a round of applause. Yeah. The bottom line, whichever way you look at it, graduation's a pretty happy time. And we come here and we celebrate, you know, the students are all feeling pretty joyous. But one of the things I'd like to talk about, today we're asked to consider the law of God. And if you're doing education at Avondale, if you're a member of the elite group, what you do is that you are graduating and you're getting your degree. But in getting this degree, we actually have to, before we give it to you, we have to tell the government that you have met all of the standards. In actual fact, we have this thing called AITSL, the Australian Institute of Teaching and School Leadership, and they come out and they publish a whole group of standards. They're grouped here under the domains of professional knowledge, professional practice, professional engagement. There's the standards. And when you drill down under each one of these, there's a graduate level down here. These guys have had to have met 41 different standards. And in our course, we have assessment tasks for everyone. And when they pass everyone, we, you know, we say they've met the standards, they've, got their, uh, they've completed their degree, give them a piece of paper, and guess what? You can get a job because you've met the standards. You are entitled to be entered into the teaching profession. Makes you tired just thinking about it, doesn't it, really? We have today been asked to consider the law of God. And I've got a question for you. Is the law of God a standard? Is it a standard? Now what we're going to do today is that Sabbath school like this is always a time of participation. And so what you're going to do is participate with me by getting out your mobile phones. So if you've got your mobile phone there, I want you to get it out right now. All the people under 30 are reaching for it. All the people over 30 are going, mobile phone in church? If you're over 30, relax, it's all about them today and this weekend, get used to it. So what we're going to do is that we're going to have an SMS voting poll. And what you're going to do is that I've got the question, is the law of God a standard? What you do is you send a text to that phone number there, 0429 883 481. And if you want to vote yes, in the body of your text... You put in 607357. If you want to vote no in the body of your text, you put in 607366. So get out your mobile phone, and I want you to answer that question for me. Is the law of God a standard? Who would like a help on how to send a text message? Okay, thanks Morris. Now up here, we've actually got a live poll, so this is your results beaming into Avondale College Church. So at the moment, oh gee, it's uh, the yeses have it. The yeses have it. So the law of God is a standard. If you don't think that's right, you better keep texting. Now when we go to the live feed, it puts this plus six one at the front, but you know, get rid of the six one and just put a zero there, that's what you do. Is the law of God a standard? Well, guys, we're going to move on because Emma is really laid down the law to me, and I'm actually a bit scared about this, that if I go late, she's going to be unhappy. So what we're going to do, I would say you've got to say consensus, majority vote, 
is the law of God is a standard. The law of God is a standard. Now that's a bit of an issue for me if that's right. Because when I read in 1 John, thanks Morris, if we go back to the keynote, if I read in 1 John 3, 4, it says everybody who sins breaks God's law because sin is the same as breaking God's law. Matter of fact, the Hebrew translation of the word sin is quite literally to miss the mark. And I pulled this off the net this morning, that what we find, we miss the mark of God's holy standard of righteousness if we sin. Now the problem with standards is that in our course we have to look at our graduates and say we can tick every one of them, they've met every standard, they can enter the profession. But when it comes to God's law, if God's law is a standard, does it really work in the same way? I mean what happens, we have got the Australian government that comes to us and it has this checklist approach where it looks at our course and to accredit our course it actually goes through and said prove to us your students are meeting every standard before we let them be teachers. And what we do is we come under a lot of scrutiny. Now I'll tell you one thing about scrutiny. One thing I know is that when you really have a close look at something, oftentimes people's behaviour changes. Now most of us here in this room would drive a car. Some of you would probably drive with your passengers feeling a little bit like this. But when I have a look at some of the results of people driving a car, I mean, how does this happen? (laughs) Just try and work that out. That car was parked behind this white barrier here. How does this happen? I mean, a friend of mine, when we were travelling in London a few years ago, parked her car up against the roller door like this and she wanted to reverse out when there was a gap in the traffic and she waited, the little gap came, so she just tramped it, but she forgot to put it into R, it was still into D, and she just went straight through the door, took out the back wall of the shed, the whole roof fell in on top of her car. The fact is, for some of us, we say, but we're actually quite good drivers. We don't do silly things like that. But even if you're a great driver, I will tell you, when you're driving along, just behaving yourself, and then you see coming the other way. And then, when there's a U-turn, and the policeman is now following you, you start getting a bit uncomfortable, don't you? I mean, you're not doing anything wrong, (laughs) But just that look in the rear view mirror. Now what this guy does, guys, I'm not going to put up an SMS vote on it, but I will tell you there's not one person in the room that driving all the way from Newcastle to Avondale with a policeman on your bumper the whole way would not start to feel a bit anxious. And what it does, folks, is that this impacts your quality of life. This level of scrutiny, you start feeling uncomfortable. And when that cop turns off and goes down another street, what's the major feeling you feel, even though you've done nothing wrong? Ah, he's gone. (laughs) The research shows us that high levels of scrutiny and observation causes such an anxious state, it can decrease performance. But let's go the other way. Daniel Pink come out with his great book, Drive. If you haven't got it, read it. Download it for your Kindle. If you're over 30, get someone under 30 next to you to explain what a Kindle is. And what happens? He talks about in this book, Motivation. He talks about an experiment that was done by Carl Dunkner. 
Carl Dunker came along and he gave people this task. They had a candle, a box of tacks and some matches and their simple task was to do this. They had to attach the candle to the wall and light it so it didn't drip wax on the table. That was the task. Now it's actually quite hard to do because something called functional fixedness. You actually, most people in the experiment didn't realise that the box that had the tax in it was actually part of the experiment. And to solve it, you actually have to do this. Easy, isn't it? Easy. What happened is that Sam Glottensberg came along from Princeton University and he said this. You know what? I'm going to change this experiment slightly. I'm actually going to pay people if they do it well. And if you can do this well, I am going to pay you. Get it right in a certain time and you get money. Here's our next quiz. Get out your phones. Do you think, will a reward, a promise of a reward, a financial reward, in that experiment, if I'm going to give you $50, if you can do it the fastest, do you think the promise of a reward will increase performance? Do you think? So that's what I want you to do. There's the number. So 42310 for a yes. Put that in the body of your text. 42321 for a no. Will... The promise of a reward increase performance in that task. You do this, you do it well, I'm going to give you money. Have you got your vote in? How are we going, Morris? Yes, no. Looks like the yeses are carrying the day. Out of the 60 people who have voted so far, 66, it will increase performance. Hey, hey, stop voting, we have to move on, Emma says. Will rewards increase performance? In actual fact, oh, that's a bit unusual, guys. Maybe we'll have to do that switch again. We'll keep going. They'll sort it out. What I can tell you, that when they paid people, the level of performance went dramatically down. Matter of fact, the group in the experiment that was paid a substantial sum of money to do this well, that group on average took five minutes longer than the group that wasn't paid to do that same task. And did you know that a reward, a financial reward for everything but a simple mechanical task, if you're packing wheat bix at Sanitarium and you're picking this up and putting it in there and they say if we pay you more, if you go faster we'll pay you more, it actually works. But as soon as the task requires any sort of cognitive skill, any sort of thinking, anything that's slightly higher order, paying you will decrease your level of performance. It's actually been proven in study after study. And the issue that I have is now that when we think about it, if we we give people surveillance, their performance goes down. If we incentivize them, their performance goes down. And as a church, we've had a habit, haven't we, of saying, repent, watch what you do with your life because God is watching. 
Is that surveillance? You think that's surveillance, Ryan? I think it might be. And we've also had a habit of saying, hey guys, if you actually do a good job now, guess what? If you're a great Christian, if you do all the right thing, where's your reward? In heaven. Is that the promise of a reward? You know what both of those things are going to do? The psychology tells us that both of those things is going to decrease our performance as Christians, both of them. So what to do? What we've got to do is start working on intrinsic motivation. We've actually got to get people intrinsically interested in doing the right thing instead of trying to extrinsically incentivize them. That's what we've got to do. Okay, get out your phones. Do you think that the law of God operates in the same way as the Eitzel standards? There's 41 Eitzel standards. You don't become a teacher till you're competent in all 41. When you've got all 41 done, tick. I mean, some of our students have to go through the assessment task a number of times to get there. But they don't get their degree and they don't become a teacher until they've got all 41 tick. Do you think the law of God operates in the same way? One person has voted and said no. (laughs) How are we going? No. No. 13% are saying yes. Come on, you yes people, if you think it. Now's the time to text. Does the law of God operate the same way as the Eitzel standards? See, guys, I actually think this is going to the fundamental question that confronts our church. When I looked at the lesson today, and it was on the law of God, you know what came into my head? Again, (laughs) I'm 52 years old. You know how many times I've taken lessons on the law of God? I don't have enough fingers and toes to actually count it and yet we're still a bit confused on this topic we've got 90 percent of people who are saying no it doesn't operate as the Eitzel standard but we have 10 percent who are saying yes it does you know guys I think we have to reconceptualize thanks Morris what the law is about I mean on our own can we reach God's standard You know, this little girl, when I think of some of the things that humans do, this little girl is a great little kid in China. And she wandered away from her mother at a market. And while she wandered away, she accidentally wandered out into a busy lane and was run over by a van. And then this CTV, CCTV footage, then recorded the next 45 minutes as person after person walked straight past her. Person after person. As this girl lay critically injured. Finally, 45 minutes later, one person had compassion. And they grabbed her and rushed her to hospital. She didn't make it. When I look at the way that we as humans sometimes behave... 
on our own, can we reach God's standard? Let's vote. You know what to do. You got the same number. So 42378 for yes, 42379 for no. On our own, can we reach God's standard? Forget the 6-1, put a zero there if you're just doing this for the first time. It's the same number. On our own, can we reach God's standard? Ninety-three percent of people say no. I should have the seven percent of people who voted yes to ask to come up here and explain how that happens. Because <laughs> I actually think we've got an issue. Thanks, Morris. Back to keynote. For me, the Bible quite clearly says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of us. Not one of us is without sin. Not one of us fails to meet the standard. Sorry, not one of us meets the standard, sorry. Better say that right. We all fail to meet the standard. You know, in our daily lives, we make choices. And when it comes to the law of God, I think at times we just have carried this concept. You know, I love this song. I haven't got time to play it. But Bruce Springsteen sang this song, Mansion on the Hill. And the verse said here, there's a place out on the edge of town, sir, rising above the factories and the fields. Now, ever since I was a child, I can remember the mansion on the hill. In the day, you could see the children playing. And on the road that leads to those gates of hardened steel... Still gates that completely surround her, the mansion on the hill. And he paints this picture of this place and he says that as a kid, his dad used to come to him and say, let's go for a drive. And they used to drive out there and they used to sit on the road and watch this mansion. What were those gates there for? What are they there for, those gates? To keep people out. And what he does, he says here, there was this house that was on the outskirts of town. We always ride out to it and we'd get out there and park and we'd sit. And at the time it seemed so distant and so unreachable. And that's the problem. If you think that you're going to get there on your own steam. It's just too distant and too unreachable. Get out your phones. I've got about two minutes left. I want to know, have you ever told a lie? Send it through. You're not typing in no, are you, Wayne? <laughs> Go on, send it through. I've just picked the easiest one. The Bible clearly states that we shouldn't lie. I'm not going to worry about the verses now, but it's there time and time again. I would say it's part of the fundamental standard. You shouldn't lie. Right. Now, guys, if you want to, you can hold it like this and go like this so the person next door doesn't see. We're stuck. We'll come back to it. It's just loading. (laughs) 
Let me say this, I will come back to it, because the reality is this, most of us see the law of God as a fence that's designed to keep people out, and I want to tell you, our whole approach, I think, to the law and to standards is wrong. I just want to finish by introducing you to someone. See this? You know what that is? All right, this is her. Come on. This is her first time in church, so make her welcome. Hey, you gonna sit? So this is Sam. This is my daughter's dog. Meant to be my daughter's dog. I feed it, I walk it, I look after it. <laughs> now what happened? We got Sam, and Sam didn't always look. As a matter of fact, looking at Sam, she turned two on Wednesday. So she's two years old, and she came to our house looking like this. And so this is her back in those early days. Now, my daughter pleaded with me. I was actually scuba diving with Jason Hins, who was over there somewhere, and I got this phone call. Can I please have this dog? I'm up here at the kennel in Cessnock. Please don't make me go home without it. We didn't have a fence. We had nothing. I built a temporary enclosure for her. And you know what? German shepherds are smart. Smarter than a lot of people in my house, I can tell you now. And she, she gets out. Now, I didn't worry about it too much because for her, she got out. But guess what? She just used to run around a little bit and she'd go off here and she'd go off there. But you know what happened? After she got to about six months old and got a lot bigger, I got a phone call from the neighbor. And she said, your dog is killing my chickens. (laughs) She'd come home with two of them in her mouth. I couldn't say she wasn't doing it. And then the big pile of feathers on the front lawn told me she'd killed them. The guy wasn't too upset. They're five bucks each, he said. So I went down there and gave him $20. He said, she only killed two. I said, mate, I'm not promising it won't happen again. (laughs) (laughs) The reality is I then had to go and spend two and a half thousand dollars building a fence. Now tell me, with this fence... It was a bit like this one. Is that fence designed to keep the chickens out? I built that fence for an unreason. I built that fence to keep the dog in. And what I can tell you is that the law of God is a fence that God has built and it's not designed to keep people out. It is not a standard that we have to attain before we enter into heaven. The law of God is designed to keep us in. See, what happened is that God had a problem. Is that he knew the human race would stray. And he had promised them, when Adam and Eve sinned, he promised them a saviour. And over the next 400 and something years, he actually said to Israel... Here is my law because the Saviour is coming. It is a fence that is designed to keep you in. It is a fence that is designed to keep you near me. It is a fence so that you can learn from me and stay close to me. And you know what? Israel still struggled. That same fence surrounds us, but I'm not going to do it because I'm a little unsure how she'd react in here. But do you know this dog now? When I was having a shower this morning, she was sitting on the tiles. 
by the shower in our ensuite upstairs. When I was marking exams yesterday, she's sitting at my feet in my office. As soon as I walk out the back to put the sprinkler on the backyard as I did this morning, she's at my side. We've got tilers working at our house, not today, but during the week. And what they do, just want to make that clear. And so what happened is that the front door's open and she runs out and she has a little look around and then she comes back in. Because you know about this dog? She now wants to be where we are. The law of God is no different. When you think of the law of God, I'm finishing Emma, this is the wrap. (laughs) When you think of the law of God, read Galatians 3. I haven't got the time to go to it now. But it says there, the law is a teacher. The law is a boundary that is there to keep us close to God so we will come into a community and a communion with our Lord and Saviour. The Lord of God is designed to keep us in and keep us safe. It is not designed to keep anybody out. And I think when we as a church come to terms with that, man, what a great place this will be. Thanks.